This is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey guys, uh, when Wheeler is out of town, we try to get out and stretch our legs and get out of the studio. And that's what we're doing on this episode. We're at the Stonely P, uh, iconic place in uptown Dallas. And we are with Laura Garrison, the, what should I call you, Laura? That's a good question. Um, What's your title? I, just, I don't uh, have one. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're taking over for your dad. Taking over for my dad. He's place. very much here every day. As am I, so. All right. Well, for, for folks who for folks who don't don't know the Stonely P, and if you're in Dallas, you should know the Stonely P. But for our listeners elsewhere across the state, this is Uptown. It's on the corner of Maple and Wolf. Yep. Uh, in Uptown, twenty nine twenty six uh, Maple Avenue. It's been here for fifty. Fifty years. Fifty years. Fifty year. and a half. Yeah. Fifty and a half years, but you guys are moving at the end of the year. We are trying to move. Why are you moving? Um. We uh, got a new landlord uh, in, during COVID, mm. and he uh, wants to take over the space and put his own bar here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and just kicking us out. Uh, so it's not a, a question of, of it's you not, can renew at a higher rate. I've tried. Oh, jeez. Yep. Um, so the new Stonely P, you guys aren't closing the doors on this. We You're just moving not. to a new place. We're right? looking actively looking for a new spot. Um, we've got things in the works, nothing concrete, trying very hard to relocate close with the same roots that we have here. Um, which is tough. How confident are you that's going to happen, Laura? <laughs> um, I'm at a 75 right now. That's, that's high confidence. 80. Um, yeah, it's tough around here because uptown there's, there's no empty spots. There's no second generation kitchens. There's, um, or if there is, everybody's waiting to redevelop. It's just a big holding pattern of, um, waiting. And and that's what uptown is for, for people who might not know the area. You know, this place was a neighborhood 50 years ago and now it's high rises. It's like the, the, uh, sheesh place to be. Yeah. Um, yep. But but you guys have survived this cozy neighborhood bar yeah. that that withstood were, it all. That withstood it all, um, and, and that's what's neat about it. So sitting here, there's a payphone in front of me. <laughs> there's a kinky for governor sign above me. Um, <laughs> there, there's a pool table behind me with your dad, Tom Garrison, back here uh, watching everything we say. That's what's cool about this place, and you have a, a hell of a, a, a draft beer list too. Oh, thank you. By yeah, the way. sure. Um, I, I love all Manhattan Texas. Project. It's all all Texas, which is cool yeah. uh, as well. So for people who don't know, well, what does the P stand for? If they haven't been here, P pharmacy was for pharmacy because. Yeah. Your dad bought out a pharmacy bought that a, used to be here, right? Correct. Yep. Uh, all through the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and 70s, there was a pharmacy here. Why, why uh, did y'all keep the P? Just because people knew it at the time? I think the story goes that um, he was going to keep the pharmacy part, yeah. and then when doing the legal work to um, to be called a pharmacy, you have to have a pharmacist on property. And they didn't have one, so he just crossed out pharmacy. Pharmacy and left the P. Uh, yep. <laughs> which, is, which is awesome. Um, and 
what else is cool about this place is that you guys have a hell of a history here too. Yeah. Your dad was just telling me about it. I read it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Carter, when he was the governor yeah. of, of Georgia, he campaigned Came here in. for president. Yep. Sure. Uh, Kenny Loggins, is it true? Kenny Loggins had his 40th birthday party That's here? That's what he says. That's is that true? I, I miss that. Have you asked but, that as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard all about it, and all we have is my dad's word, so there's... Yolitics, <laughs> uh, of course, has recorded here in the Stonely P, which is cool. Um, you took over in 2017, is that right? Mm-hmm. Started working here officially, but you were but you were. I saw a picture of you behind the bar when you were like raised this big, here. Yes. Tiny. Yeah, that pool table was my little playground. I was mean, it really? The whole the trees outside got pictures of. Favorite mm. memory of this place? What is it? Oh gosh, uh, there's not one single what? one. There's no way. Um, well, the 50th anniversary party. Earlier this year. Earlier this April year in March April. April. Yes, okay. there was about 300 people here, from two to two all day long there was a revolving door of people that were just coming to celebrate the pee which yeah. was so much love and it was nuts it was i mean the service we were we were crazy we were running out of everything every minute but nobody cared nobody i mean it was all love for the stonely pee and that was so cool we stayed here the whole night and just you know, relished in time. it. It was, it was so much fun. So you, the, the doors are open until when? The end of the year, December 31st? What? No, uh, April, actually. We have till our 51st birthday. Okay. Um, April of 24. Yes. That's how long the doors are open yeah. here. Um, for, for, for our listeners who, who might not have been here before, what would you, how, how would you describe it? I talked a moment ago about the payphone, the pool table, right. kinky for governor, the, the, <laughs> the pictures of the pharmacy. It's a great way to um, describe it right here, this I, little corner. How would you describe it, though? Um... Uh, so at night it seems a little divey, but uh, I try to not say that because my dad doesn't like that term. He doesn't like really? the, he doesn't like being described as a dive bar. Um, but it, it is divey for the area, uh, for uptown, the poshness of uptown. It's it's different than that. It's uh, yeah, it's just like an old bar, and but it's for everybody, and that's why it's hard to describe it. We we don't have a one a one word for it and that's yeah. why everybody likes it because it, there's something here for everybody um yeah i, I don't know i've never i've never, never been, been able to that? tag that down oh i have been yeah you have been. oh okay. yeah yeah right. and i'll and i sometimes say dive bar my dad's like no it's not, it's not a not dive bar laura right is that what he says yeah <laughs> what other stories has he told you before we, before we let you go what other stories has he told you that you wonder about <laughs> i'm sure a lot of them but what uh He's dressed in drag before on the bar. But there's have to be pictures of that. You can't be. You can't have wondered. No, there, that. back there in no the seventies, there was. Uh, uh, I I haven't seen any. There's no mm -mm. Kodachrome in here. Huh? I've seen Definitely some not. funny pictures, but um, but the parties here uh, were always big and uh, dancethons. There was, he used to hold dancethons <laughs> here, and um, his best friend danced all night long, and he had to cut it short. The two two dancers. Two pairs were dancing, yeah. and they wouldn't stop. And my dad had to stop it, and everybody got mad at him. There was an uh, article in the newspaper about bar owner shuts down dance and it was just... Uh, Tom's spoiling the party here. Yeah, but he's also the party man, yeah. so it's uh, it's funny. Congratulations on, on 50. It'll be 51 years when yes. it's all said and done right. next April. Uh, we'll make sure we come back for a, a final toast. Oh, great, before yes. the two. Congratulations to you on, on being the future of the Stonely Peak. Thank you. And, and how will people find out where you guys are relocating to? Is it online or what? It will be. Oh, as soon as we can announce it from the rooftops, we will. Um, we'll hopefully get some... 
PR from it. Uh, I've, I've got Sarah on my phone. Sarah, Sarah Bal- Balkovich. Sarah, oh, I'm sorry. I'm dropping uh, different Sarah names. Sorry, so. I am too. I, put, I know. Um, Okay, Sarah. I, I will reach out to the right people. Is what I'm saying. All right, um, and, and there have been a lot of politics in this bar since we, you know, we talked about the kinky mm, sign, yeah. President Carter or Governor Carter at the time, being here. Uh, a number of people over the years. We came here today to interview um, a state representative named John Bryant, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk to him in just a moment. But Jason Wheeler is definitely missing out on the on the draft beer list. I think there's even a he likes fruity beers. Uh, there's you know a there's a, some ciders. There's Royal Blood up Royal here. Blood, yeah. yeah. It's like That's an orange beer orange. with yep. citrus. Yep. Yeah. So you guys he, like sours? I'm, Wheeler likes stuff like that. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm thinking about getting a sour. Yeah. Really? But I need some feedback of it. Yeah, I'm not the guy for that one. I like the I like the Pilsner from Manhattan Project. I love Manhattan Project. They're good. Laura, thanks for having us. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so we're much. Gonna, we're gonna get to uh, get to state Repres- state representative Bryant now. Okay. Great. Thanks so much. Hey, y'all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting for another smart conversation on eolitics. All right, let's get to our guest is State Representative John Bryant. And for those who don't know, John Bryant is a state representative representing downtown Dallas, uh, parts of North and East Dallas, the M Street, Swiss Avenue, uh, Casa Linda area, huge chunk of East Dallas. He's a Democrat just elected in 2022. But but you are a veteran of Texas politics, uh, different from everybody else in the state capitol. You served there uh, from 1974 to 1982 in the Texas House, twice named uh, one of the 10 best legislators by Texas Monthly Magazine, elected to Congress six times, serving in Congress from 83 to 97. Is it 83 to 97? Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And then ran for U.S. Senate in 96. Look, let me ask you, you, you know, when, when you left in 97, left politics, what was the moment what was the one thing that happened, Representative, that you decided, hey, I need to get back in? Well, you start hearing voices after 14 years there that, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over, and maybe you, it's time to move on. And I just started feeling like it was time to move on. Uh, I, it was a good decision because redistricting made it would have made it hard for me to stay in office anyway. But I had already been in public life by that time for 24 years, and yeah. it, it just seemed like it was time to go back to private life and stay in one place and be able to go to church and go to funerals and go to weddings and sleep not, in your own bed at night that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, before we got going here i didn't ask you what, what kind of beer are you having it's an ipa i don't remember the brand of it but it's a good one here it it yeah, it, yeah we'll find the brand of it i'm having the yeah. um, my favorite beer I, I have this all the time on the podcast but it's uh, the manhattan project necessary evil and daryl's handing us the list here you have the uh, it's the, it's the it's only the IPA on, on there. The, the Trinity Forest the Smash on, IPA, yeah. Okay, so yeah. the one on draft, yeah. Smash IPA. <laughs> um, so let's hop back into the conversation here. What, for you to get back in and decide you wanted to run again, did you see one thing in the news? Did one thing, one political thing happen uh, for you to decide, hey, I need to get back into politics after all this time out in the sidelines? Yes, the invasion of the U.S. Capitol by this mob and the uh, increasing amount of authoritarian talk about the future. And I thought, well, I, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I could get involved again, try to maybe plug the dike until we can uh, straighten things out. And uh, instead of sitting here sending angry emails to my friends, you know, get back involved in it. I was quite really sincerely concerned about where we're headed. Also, there were a bunch of uh, decisions pending in the Supreme Court related to the power of states assertions that the states had the power over the Electoral College 
uh, that uh, they've never had before. And had those gone against us, state government would have been the place where an authoritarian movement would have begun and still could be. So I think it made the right decision to run, and that's really what's, what, what I was worried about. What was your family's reaction when you decided you want to get back into politics? Uh, pretty surprised. Uh, my wife was wondering, you know, what are you thinking? You've already done this. You know. But remember, the state's quite different now. When I was in the legislature before, we had 15 million people. Now we have 30 million people. We were still a, a largely agricultural economy when we were an industrial powerhouse now. Texas is really a nation state, and the stakes are much higher. Uh, uh, the changes are still happening rapidly. It's a different place. You know, one reason I wanted to talk to you because you've been critical of Democrats today, uh, suggested that Texas Democrats are fine with getting the scraps left over uh, in, in, in the legislature. Uh, I think you even called them a bunch of sheep in an interview with Texas Monthly recently. <laughs> Are those correct quotes that I'm reading? Well, I was talking about the state Senate when I called them sheep because okay. uh, of the, the fact that they follow along with, obsequiously without ever fighting back. Um, but uh, I, I, have been, I am a Democrat, of course, and I'm a deeply committed Democrat, but I've, our Democrats have been in the minority in the legislature for 20 years, and the governorship has been in the hands of the Republicans for almost 30 years. So being in the minority for that length of time, I, I think they have developed a lot of bad habits, which are try to go along to get along, try to get by with a smile and a shoe shine, hoping their personalities can keep them below the radar screen and maybe pass a bill here or pass a bill there. But the combination of all these bills that they pass that way don't amount to uh, anything as bad as the way in which we lose on the major issues, the appropriations bill in which governs how we spend the money, the tax bill, which governs how we tax people, and most importantly, public education. What should Democrats be doing, do you think? I think they should be speaking out, saying no, being willing to incur the displeasure of the Republican leadership, including the Speaker or the Lieutenant Governor in the Senate, uh, and let the public see the difference between what Democrats are arguing for and what Republicans are, are doing. The, while they have power. And are these Democratic incumbents afraid of those leadership positions, do you think? I think uh, many of them have decided to settle for being named vice chairman of a committee, or maybe some of them even get named chairman of a committee. But it, it doesn't matter if you're a chairman if you don't have uh, a majority of uh, like-thinking people on the committee to help you pass legislation. The key is how do we spend the money, how do we tax, and how do we educate? And if we're losing those big battles, I would call that, call that, that the war. For losing the war, winning a battle here and there really is insignificant. But you ask about their motives, uh, I think it's not so much fear as it is a decision that, well, we're in the minority, I'll just try to get by by passing a bill here or a bill there and I won't make a big ruckus. And the result of that is permanent minority status. But uh, a lot of these Democrats are in safe seats. Why not? That's Ruffle my, some feathers. That's my question. When the Republicans gerrymandered the state in the last redistricting in 2021, they gave themselves 86 safe seats. But the, to do that, they had to leave behind 62 safe Democratic seats and two that are more difficult to win. So 62 of 64 Democrats have safe seats. There is no reason not to be out front and, and fighting hard and making plain to the public that we're 
on their side on these big issues as opposed to going along to get along with the powers that be there and really accomplishing very little. What, what kind of reaction have you gotten from your fellow Democrats this go-around? Uh, a positive reaction. Have you really? Most acknowledge that this is, is true. Not sure. They're not sure how to get out of it. Remember, the vast majority of the 64 Democrats have never known what it's like to be in the majority after 20 years. There's only a handful of us that know what it's like to be in the majority. And I think a lot of our guys have lost their muscle memory of what it means to really be in control and to be, be governing the state. Uh, I don't like being in the minority. I've been in the majority before, and I'm pushing to get us back in the majority. When I think of, of Democrats that, that will get out there and brawl, today's generation of Democrats, I think of someone like Gene Wu, who's been on the program with us in the past. Right. I, it's, I, I think that it's either built in you or it's not built in you. Is there any way to, to, to train any of these incumbents of, of what they need to do based on the experience you and others have? I think it, you're right that it is uh, in, it's either innate to you or yeah. it's not. However, I think that uh, members who otherwise would have been strong advocates and been, been willing to, to take the fight to the other side, uh, but saw that they were in the minority year after year, can develop a cautious way of operating and pull back from that. And I've ho I'm hoping that some of us uh, that have been willing to, be, to get out front and not focus on passing little bills, but focus on trying to win the war, uh, are setting an example and showing uh, some of the members that are newer to the process that this is really the more rewarding place to be and the more meaningful place to be. And it's all about messaging, isn't it? I mean, you, you have to let Texas voters know what you stand for and, and, and what yeah. you're doing. And it's, it's not, I think, I mean, it is fact. The Democratic Party in the state for the last couple of decades has had a messaging problem. Yes, the voters have to see us being active in opposing Republican policies and presenting viable alternatives. If they don't see that, they don't have any reason to get off the couch and go vote. Or in a long ballot like we have nowadays, once you vote for president or governor to keep on going down the ballot until you get to state senator and state representative. If all we do is go along to get along, well, voters are not gonna be motivated. Let me ask about a few <clears throat> times uh, that Texas Democrats have pushed back. Two years ago, year and a half, two years ago, they went to DC to, to protest the elections bill. Uh, back in 2003, they spent a month, the state Senate Democrats, spent a month in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, protesting redistricting. So they, they have fought back uh, a couple of times in, in recent memory, but those weren't successful because we all knew at the end of the day that Republicans had the, the majority and Republicans were going to get their way eventually after these stunts happened. Well, they showed enormous courage in doing that. Uh, it was only when survival was at stake that that, that, that that took place, and, and I, I have to take my hat off to every one of them. Uh, I've broken quorums before when I was in the House, but to, to leave for a month and to, and to hold out under a serious criticism in order to let the whole country see what was being done to our voting rights, I thought showed great courage. Were those successful? Yes, they were successful in letting the public see what's going on, and that was the critical part of it. Uh, they had to let the public see what's happening. Ultimately, the Republicans, who have a majority, were going to pass the bill, and they did pass the bills, but not, not without being uh, having it in the spotlight. 
Well, why haven't Democrats capitalized on things like that, on redistricting, on gerrymandering, on, on uh, changing the election law, on no relief for renters, which we'll talk about in a moment? Why haven't Democrats really capitalized on that? Put that into a message, taking it across the state. Well, <laughs> it, when, the re, when the gerrymandering was going on, uh, of course, Democrats are hanging around hoping they, they won't be cut out instead of fighting back on the big issue. And so 62 of them have, of us, I wasn't there at the time, but 62 of the seats are safe. Uh, so uh, I think, again, it always comes back to, maybe if I keep my profile low, I won't get, I won't get hit by the bullets from the Republican side and get something passed. But long-term, that's self-defeating. The public has to see what we're doing. And the other thing about long-term is, it's not rewarding. You come to the end of your, of your service and look back and wonder, well, what did I really do besides serve my own interests? I'm the, probably the only member of the House who has once had his career come to an end. After 24 years, I was finished. I came home for 24 more years in private life. But I remember looking back and thinking, well, gee, I, I got to do what I wanted to do. Did I make the best of it? And the things you remember and feel good about are the things that you took a risk to do. Uh, and maybe you didn't even get credit for it, but you tried. And that's what really is rewarding, not little uh, bills that you can kind of hang on the wall like a trophy that nobody really opposed anyway. I, I think I've asked this once or twice in the conversation here, but are there younger members that you've talked to and said, listen, let, let's think differently about this? Let's don't think about these little bills. Yeah, I know you want to get something done because it's tough to get things done, but but we need to think differently about how we're going to have a strategy here. Yes, uh, I've had those conversations many times. And, uh, many Since you've been back? Uh, oh, yes, in this past session, yes, uh, with younger members. Uh, and s some are very receptive, some are cautious, not knowing what to think. They look around and see a lot of people still doing it the old way. So uh, that's probably going to be a gradual process that I hope outlives me. So We talked about messaging for, for a moment here, too. What, what's the long-term strategy of today's Texas Democratic Party? Well, I can't speak for the state party as an entity. I can speak for what uh, I believe we should be doing in the, in the Texas House. And that is you've got to take the fight to the Republicans when you have the votes to do it. When they have to pass a constitutional amendment and need 100 votes and we have 64, we need to say to them, we're not gonna pass it unless it contains our priorities also, instead of laying down and letting them pass these things uh, because you don't wanna make anybody mad. And that's what's been happening and it happened numerous times in this last session. If Democrats were to, you know, all align and, and vote in a block like that. I mean, wouldn't some of them who have leadership positions be in jeopardy? Well, they risk making the speaker mad, and if they're depending on the speaker to give them their titles, uh, yes. But remember, when you accept a chairmanship from a Republican speaker, you agree to be part of his team, and that means you give up your voice on, on the big issues and you give up a lot of your independence on the big issues. You're still free to talk about the little issues, the social issues, for example, that we disagree with the Republicans on because they love it when we fight them on those issues. They take those issues to the red meat Republican primary voters. But the key is what's happening on the appropriations bill, what's happening on the tax bill, what's happening on public education. 
you've watched in the past, you know, couple decades how the gap in the presidential candidates between Republicans and Democrats, the gap has narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. And I think Joe mm-hmm. Biden got the closest uh, of, of any, I think, of any Democrat since uh, maybe the 80s um, in this state. But one thing that has struck me the last 25 years here is that the DNC no longer really invests in Texas. The Democratic National Committee, yeah, yeah it, it, it has some money they put in here, but, but not very much. They don't, and they have, to a great extent, assumed that they can't win, and so therefore they don't invest a lot here. They come and raise a lot of money here, but then don't put a lot back in. That's a source of great uh, uh, you know, dissatisfaction on the part of the Texas Democrats because we believe that this state is on the verge of becoming a democratic state. You think so? Yes. Remember, uh, Hispanics are now a plurality in the state. Uh, the old uh, establishment is gradually becoming, uh, n- losing its grip on total control of everything. And when you poll on the issues and not on the personalities, Voters are with us. They believe in a woman's right to choose when it comes to the question of abortion. It's overwhelming the, the way they see that. They believe in the best possible public school system instead of one that's 44th in the nation in the state effort for financing. They believe in mental health instead of being dead last in the nation in, in mental health. Uh, they believe in, in a tax system that it's not going to give away a third of all the money that we just allocated to tax reductions to refineries and skyscrapers and instead putting more of it to uh, residential homeowners who are having a very difficult time and to, and to uh, householders that rent their houses who are having a difficult time. That's where the relief is needed. And there are millions of Texans. I think people realize how many renters there are. You and I spoke about this for an interview for Inside Texas Politics, yeah. and almost half of the, of the total households in Dallas County, I believe, almost half are yeah. renters. 57 percent in Dallas County. Yeah. Uh, Statewide, almost 40 percent. It's and it it may be a a majority of actual individuals, Mm. uh, but, you know, they were left out entirely. Now, one place that the Democrats have have seemingly seemingly been non-existent uh, is is rural Texas. Mm. There, There just doesn't seem to be a message that resonates with rural Texans. And when, you know, election night and when we see the what lights up blue and what lights up red, it looks like this is a solid red state, except for a handful of counties in the metro areas that light up blue. What should Texas Democrats be doing to, to talk to rural Texans and tell them that we do stand for things that you believe in? First of all, we need to get down to bread and butter issues. In rural Texas, a very high percentage of people have to drive 50 miles to the hospital. Every uh, small town used to have its own hospital. That's not the case anymore. Uh, rural Texans also face... Uh, a, a problem that your phone who's calling you here yeah i don't know I, I, the hotline coming through here <laughs> i'm tempted to pick it up and say i told you never he, to call me here he's got a phone call coming through yeah. <laughs> i'll try them again let me turn this off all right we, we were talking uh, about uh, yeah, rural texas there and hospitals how hospitals yeah. have been closing in rural texas for several years now yeah and there the life there has become more and more difficult because of things like that most of the town, many of the towns no longer have a grocery store. Everybody goes to Walmart for groceries. Um, the, um, the, the, the income of people in West Texas, if you're not a, if you don't work for the school district, you don't work for the hospital, if there is a hospital, uh, and you don't have a, a farm or ranch with an oil well on it, 
you're working down at uh, General Dollar for eleven and a half dollars an hour. So the average income is way down. Uh, we need to be making clear to, to, to rural Texans, those issues are important to us. We, we put in our proposals every time funds to change those things. The other thing is public education. You know, the Republicans are proposing vouchers, which would take a big chunk out of the public schools. Uh, and give it to people that want to go to private schools. Well, they're not private schools in the, in the rural areas, number one. Number two, even if there was the amount of money they're talking about, it's only a third of the cost. Uh, vouchers would totally change the way of life in, in rural Texas. There'd be no more Friday night football, for example, because you'd have half the student body gone somewhere else. So uh, these proposals ignore the reality of, of, of life in rural Texas. I grew up in a small town. I know exactly what it's like. And I think we have to encourage, be bold in rural Texas and say, look, don't get hung up on these social issues. You know, women in rural areas are just like women in urban areas. They believe in a woman's right to make her decision with regard to terminating a pregnancy, not Greg Abbott making that decision for them. And uh, this talk about transgender kids, we're talking about a tiny percentage of people that have a very unusual condition and ought to be able to go to the doctor of their choice and not have what they do governed by a bunch of Republican politicians. But, but why, aren't, why aren't Texas Democrats, I mean, it's, this seems easy to do if, if I'm a Democrat. Why aren't Texas Democrats even making the attempt to do this? It takes money. Uh, you have to, if, if you're hanging on by your fingernails, you've got to put your resources where your best opportunities are. So we focus on the incumbents that we have. You help some challengers along the way. And once in a while, you have somebody come along like Beto O'Rourke who can raise a lot of money because of his national profile and, and run a campaign. But you know, two years ago, we fell way short, I think partly because we are not making clear to the public that we're opposed to illegal immigration. Uh, all of this talk about immigration that we hear out of the governor uh, is really a showpiece. He spent four and a half billion dollars on that that could have been spent on public education. We're just as opposed to illegal immigration as he is, but we're not interested in being cruel to people. And these cruel measures that he takes to make it look like he's the only one fighting against the illegal immigration uh, are, uh, need to be called out, and we do call it out. But I think we've not made a uh, uh, made it clear to people that we also don't want illegal, illegal immigration either. Likewise, crime. We're in favor of more police. We're in favor of fighting crime. We vote, we vote for the same crime bills the Republicans do, but we don't usually run ads about it, and the Republicans do. So I think we've got we've got to strengthen our message on that. It goes back to messaging because people might think that, oh, well, Greg Abbott stands for a strong border and not knowing that, that Democrats do as well. And, and, and Right. So I think that the messaging is the one thing that I, I don't understand why Democrats haven't been able to get a handle on after 20-plus years in the state and, you know, 40 years uh, well, nationally. Well, stop and think about it. Who would our spokesman be? Right now, the only one— That's my next question for you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, right now, the only one is— uh, the state party chairman and people expect a party chairman to be critical of the other party, so that doesn't always carry much weight. We, no one in the legislature ever criticizes the governor. 
only a handful of us are willing to do that, or the lieutenant governor, they're afraid their little bill will be vetoed. So they stay quiet all the time. Uh, they don't want to be accused of being partisan. Well, you just have to put up with those accusations. You've got to say something. Uh, you know, he's squandering money that could have been spent on public education, uh, on putting buoys on a quarter mile stretch in a thousand mile river. I mean, this is uh, absurd to be doing that instead of recognizing that uh, we're 44th, as I said a moment ago, in the nation in a state effort in public education. And we just passed an appropriations bill that he signed that didn't increase public education $1. For 10 years, the independent school districts in Texas have not had an increase in funding, and they didn't get another an increase this year either. Teachers deserve a pay raise. They're leaving, and 12% of them left last year. Uh, Dallas Independent School District had a thousand teacher shortfall not long ago. They're desperately trying to fill with the school year on top of us. Uh, that's where we need to be spending our time and our money, uh, not on these show business things that Abbott's doing in order to be named vice president or, or maybe run for president. In, in 24, who knows when? We've, yeah. heard, we've heard that rumor forever, too. Let, let me ask you the last thing, kind of, you know, wide-ranging here about the party. Uh, and, and the first is, it's kind of a long question, so go ahead and have some IPA there. Uh, the first is, why haven't we seen other higher-profile folks mm -hmm. like Beto O'Rourke step up? And then when I think of the last Democratic governor, who, who you know, you likely knew well, Ann Richards, She's, she was a character that embodied this state. She would go out and, and go dove hunting, you know, wear the orange vest, uh, hold a rifle and actually go, go do it here. We just don't seem to have those people uh, on, on the Democratic side that would resonate with folks out west, that would resonate with folks, you know, down south, folks in the east, up north, and, and all over the place. We seem to have more, I would say, more progressive, more urban type folks. I think we have plenty of people that would resonate with them all over the state. Uh, I was, for example, was born in a small town. That's quite common just because you came off to Dallas to go to college and you're here. It doesn't mean you, you don't understand your your family that lives in, still lives in small towns. Uh, the, the problem is the dynamics. Ann Richards had been a statewide officeholder when she ran for governor. And she was already well known, and people followed her. And she had a great personality and an enormous amount of talent. That helps a lot. Y yeah. Uh, now, who would who would the press take an interest in? I mean, our highest officials are state senators. Uh, which of them could could really draw a crowd to a press conference if they went out to Abilene or Odessa, or, or Big Spring, or one of the towns out in West Texas? Uh, you've got to have a You've got to have some uh, some reason for the press to, to show up because the press wants to write about things the public is interested in. A better work, I think, did a good job of that, uh, but you know he, he didn't he just didn't have enough oomph to get there in 2022. And it was uphill in 2022 because it was more of a referendum on on President Biden right. uh, at the time too, so it was tough for any Democrat. Good point. Yes. Um, let me shift off to a few pieces of, of uh, legislation that, that you were uh, really working uh, hard on. You proposed a $100,000 homestead uh, up to uh, a homestead exemption, rather, for property taxes up to 25% of the uh, property value, not to exceed $200,000. Um, and right. you also proposed that rent relief, which we discussed a moment ago, 10% rebate of their rent. Texas Democrats weren't even part of the conversation until really this kind of came up at the very end. 
I introduced a bill along with uh, Ana Maria Ramos uh, and Vicky Goodwin and Christina Morales <clears throat> uh, to provide a Democratic alternative to the Republican bill, which addressed three major things. First, you can't begin to alter the way in which we finance public education without first taking care of public education. So it committed $15 billion uh, to the public schools, which only covered inflation over the last 10 years and gave a $4,300 a year teacher pay raise. So first things first, it took care of that. Second, it doubled the amount of homeowner tax relief that the Republicans were offering instead of just a mere $100,000 uh, exemption, which is going to disappear with the rising uh, prices of homes. It was a, we proposed a $100,000 minimum, up to 25% of the total appraised value of your home with a cap of $200,000, almost twice as much. Remember, the Republican uh, tax relief for homeowners is, averages $680 a year. It's about $56 a month in a house payment. Uh, it's hardly going to be felt. Uh, our home, homeowners, they don't need hundreds of dollars in tax relief. They need thousands of dollars in tax relief. And that's what we proposed. Third, we said, look, almost 40% of the state's households are rental households, and they deserve to share in this tax relief as well because they pay sales taxes, which have contributed to the surplus like everybody else. So we covered all three of those things. Uh, and that was the Democratic proposal. Uh, why was it late? Why was it toward the end? Well, th there are Democratic members of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, I'm not one of them. And so waiting to see if something was going to happen and seeing that it didn't, we came forward with a, with a well-thought-out proposal. And, and Representative, <clears throat> Again, that goes to messaging, I think, because most people think, oh, well, Republicans are the ones for low taxes. Your bill said, I'll, I'll, I'll see your low taxes and I'll do you one better. The Republicans plan almost a third of what they claimed uh, as the total of their tax relief went to refineries, uh, skyscrapers, uh, oil wells, the commercial operations. The, the crisis was homeowners and rental households, not these big, giant, mostly out-of-state owned uh, commercial entities. And yet they, they gave $3.8 billion in tax relief to those guys. We took that money and we gave it to homeowners, rental households, uh, because that's where the need was. Let's talk about school vouchers a tad more here. 20 or so rural Republicans have joined with Democrats to oppose school vouchers. Uh, they are the ones, as you know, really kind of keeping this from happening because they're that, that swing vote. Right. Do you expect that this is going to eventually pass in a special session? I, I don't know of any Republicans that have changed their mind on this. Governor Abbott's really insistent on trying to get something passed. Well, if all of the rural Republicans stick with us, uh, we can stop vouchers. Uh, vouchers would be devastating for their communities, uh, and I hope they'll stay with us. But in a special session where you've got the lieutenant governor, the governor, and the speaker all working on them, who knows? I, I just pray that they will stay with us. Do you all stay in touch with Republican colleagues who yes. oppose it? Yes, yes. Uh -huh. They've shown a lot of courage, those those 20 have, to, to, st to stay with us on that. We passed a ban on vouchers in the appropriations bill, and then it was dropped out in conference committee. Uh, but, uh, again, we have 5.5 million school st students. We have more school students than most states have people. Okay? You can't educate 5.5 million kids 
in a handful of private schools around the state. There's just not enough classrooms. It's an ideological extremism. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. We need to do a good job in, in educating our kids, and we can't do it if we're draining off money on these voucher schemes. You've been around Austin for a minute. You spent time in D.C., as we discussed earlier, too. You see what's happening with Ken Pax and the impeachment trial coming up in about a month. Yeah. What do you expect to happen there? Because these aren't regular jurors. These are elected officials who answer to, to voters and to donors. Do you, do you yeah. think Ken Paxton will be convicted by the Republican-led Senate? I don't think anybody would be wise in predicting that. I, I don't know. I, uh, I know that uh, Republican voters, primary voters, a high percentage of them, support Paxton in spite of all the bad things that he has done. Uh, and I'm sure Republican senators are aware of that and are gonna be, have a hard time casting a vote to convict him. So I wouldn't count on him being convicted at all. I'd point out to you again, as an example of what I view as the Republican way of operating in our state, a major political action committee that supports Paxton just gave the Lieutenant Governor $3 million and he didn't see anything wrong with taking it, even though he's presiding over the trial. So that's the environment we're in right now. That's the Defend Liberty group. I think they've given him money in the past, and, and I don't know, but I would presume other state senators as well uh, on the Republican yes. side. Um, Correct. If you were to sum up the party, let's, I'll, I'll kind of wrap things up here with a couple last questions. If you were to sum up Texas Democrats today, how would you, how would you complete the sentence? Texas Democrats today are blank. On the verge of becoming a governing party again, if they will stand up and let the public see what they really stand for and that they're willing to fight for the public interest. One more sentence for you to fill in. Okay. Based on my experience, Texas Democrats today need to do blank. They need to be seen fighting for the public interest in the House and the Senate and not uh, attempt to get by by going along to get along. One thing I, I, I noticed, you're, you're 76, is that right? Right. What's different about you as well, in addition to your confidence and your experience there on the floor, is you don't have to worry about offending anybody. You don't have to worry <laughs> about a, a private law office or job or this, that, or the other that you might not get clients for based on what you do in Austin. That's, that, that makes you different. That's true, but most members don't realize I'm no different than they are in that regard. They don't have to worry about it either. They just think they do, and I'm hoping to convince them that they don't. So. Did, did I read that you're, a, you're studying at the Perkins School of Theology? Yes, I am. I've been a part-time student there since 2018. So for, uh, for a minute here, you're, you're a long-term student, it sounds like. You, yeah. And I think I read that you're taking a prayer and spirituality course, pursuing a discipline in spiritual discipline. Um, does that help you compartmentalize politics at all? How, how does that help you politically in your political life well, with all the stress? Well, it, it, it helps you... Uh, love your adversaries and be able to put up with it when they get mad and call you names which doesn't happen that often but this you is don't seem bothered politics, by that though. so well if, if you take the big if you have the big uh, picture in mind and you can put up with it uh, so it's a lot easier to do it when you're older than it is when you're younger and you're all full of you know hormones and you want to fight everybody but uh, uh, everybody can can be that way you know if they'll work on it then last thing you know for for 20, 25 years or so, I've always heard that Texas Democrats are just one or two elections away from, from winning back either a statewide seat or winning back majority in the legislature. What's realistic? Well, I think that that was true when it was said, and it's still true. Uh, but we have a huge burden, and that is that 
Texas now is filled with these billionaires who like being on top and they, for them to give a million dollars to a candidate is not any kind of a sacrifice and they do it. And they have their own think tanks and they keep scorecards and frighten Republicans into always voting uh, 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 with the most right wing positions. Tell them like people like Tim Dunn, West Texas, folks like that. Are yeah, I've read about all those guys and we never had that before. I mean, we never had people that could give, give the governor a million dollars uh, in a campaign or give the lieutenant governor the other day $3 million. Um, that's a hard thing to overcome. And when they miseducate the public saying uh, bad things about our candidates, it's hard to overcome that if, you don't, if you're not well financed as well. Uh, so we have to overcome that. But mostly we got six months of a legislative session, five months, but typically there are special sessions as well for the public to see us fighting for the public interest. And if they see us doing that, that'll be a lasting memory. Uh, we can't get there by going along to get along. We will be watching to see what happens. It's fascinating yeah. to talk to you, especially someone with your experience, too. So Thank uh, you. Cheers to Thanks your representative. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate you being on Yolitics. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, y'all. The conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics.